Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Hello and welcome to The Bill Walton Show. What the China and Google have in common? Both present grave threats to the world's democracies, free speech, and even human autonomy. These are big claims, but I believe that after you've taken in this show, you will agree. With me, to understand more about both Google and China, are Dr. Robert Epstein and Reggie Littlejohn. Dr. Robert Epstein is senior research psychologist at the American Institute for Behavioral Research Technology and the former editor-in-chief of Psychology Today magazine. A PhD from Harvard, he has published 15 books and has devoted the past six and a half years to researching tech giant bias, especially with Google, which dominates the search engine market. He is currently working on a book called How Google and Facebook Ate Your Brain and How You Can Get a New One. Reggie Littlejohn is the founder and president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers, a graduate of Yale Law School and an experienced litigation attorney. She is an acclaimed international expert on China's one-child policy and its human rights abuses. Her organization has been called the leading voice in the battle to expose and oppose forced abortion and the sex-selective abortion of females in China. Robert, Reggie, welcome, Dr. Epstein. Thank you. It's uh, great Epstein. to be here. Uh, what sparked your interest in Google? Early 2012, actually it was New Year's Day 2012, I received about 10 emails from Google saying my website had been hacked. And I thought, this is odd. Why am I getting notification from Google? Uh, why aren't I getting notification from a government, government agency or some nonprofit organization? Why is Google telling Who made Google the sheriff? That was one thing that crossed my mind. Then I also tried to figure out uh, some technical issues, because I've been a, a techie since I was a teenager. And one thing that bugged me was that Google was not just blocking access to my website through their search engine, which I understand. I get that. Uh, but the, somehow they were blocking access through other people's browsers, like, like Safari, which is an Apple's browser, and Firefox, which is a browser uh, created by a nonprofit organization. And I thought, how can they do that? That doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't get it. So I started to just look at them more critically, not just as a, as a, as a fun toy you know, for finding information, but you know, what kind of company is this? That's what I started to ask. I've seen reports in the news, by the way, saying that I have a grudge against Google because mm. they notified me of, you know, and that's, that's absolutely absurd. I simply started to look at them with my scientific eyes. I've been a researcher for almost 40 years. And then later that year, uh, I started to notice a new literature, new research literature on uh, the power that search results have to drive sales. That's what I found. And, and, and the results were so fascinating to me that if you, know, if you can push your website a little higher in Google search results, you can make a fortune. And 
I asked a simple question. I wondered whether uh, just those high-ranking items in Google search could be used to shift people's opinions and maybe even their votes. And I started doing what I do. I set up experiments and, and to study the issue and answer that question. And it opened up uh, Pandora's box, to say the least. I've, I've since then been immersed in scientific research, uh, showing me, unfortunately, that, that the search engine is the most powerful mind control machine ever invented. That's quite a statement. We're uh, we're also here talking about China and the Google China connection. I think will become obvious to everyone once we've gotten into this a bit. But just to kick off the China piece of this, Reggie, what what is it that that you think makes China an important topic when it comes to to uh, Dr. Epstein's issue? Well, well, first thing I want to say is this is part of the brilliance of Dr. Epstein. Um, where he sees this research that says, oh, you know, if, if, some, if a company gets higher in the search engine, you can get more sales. And then he thinks, wow, could that be used to manipulate votes? Okay, how many people would have made that connection and just opened this huge Pandora bo Pandora's box? So I'm just very grateful um, for your mind and it has not been eaten <laughs> by Google and Facebook. But um, I think that there's a very important connection between Dr. Epstein's work, or maybe I can call you Robert, since please, we're friends. Please do, absolutely. <laughs> okay. um, and, and China, because what he's talking about is how these search engines or uh, other electronic means can really interfere with our electoral process and even our human autonomy. And so much is going on in China using electronics and artificial intelligence to limit people's autonomy. And they don't even have elections over there. They're a one-party totalitarian system, but they have a mind-control machine that is unmatched by any other country in the world. So in China, it's overt, and in the United States, or at least in Google's platform, which is worldwide, it's, it's covert. And what, what's, search in, what, what's the SIEM system? What's search engine manipulation effect? That's one of the things you mentioned that there's uh, like tw 10 to 12 different ways they can manipulate how you think and react to things. What, what is that? Well, the search engine manipulation effect, SEME, um, that, was, that was my first uh, discovery. This was uh, early 2013. Uh, I ran an experiment, a controlled, randomized experiment, um, to see whether I could shift people's opinions and voting preferences using search results that are biased, that, that favor one candidate or another. So uh, in the basic experiment, there are three groups. Uh, uh, people are randomly assigned to one of the three groups. In one group, uh, they see search results that favor one candidate. In the, in the other group, uh, the search results favor the opposite candidate, the opposing candidate. And the third group is a control group where the search results are all mixed up. So in this type of experiment, we're using real search results, real web pages. People are using a, a search engine uh, that we control. It's called Kadoodle. It works exactly like Google does. And we, or, or I speculated, that you know, through this random assignment uh, that 
I could probably get people's opinions about uh, a candidate uh, to shift by two or three percent. That was my thinking at the time. Um, so the way this works is, in the beginning, uh, we, 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 we start always with undecided voters. And in the beginning, we're giving them a brief information about each of the two candidates. So these are real candidates from a real election. Uh, we, we, used, uh, we used participants from the United States. And the election we chose to use deliberately uh, was an election from Australia, uh, just to make sure that our participants were definitely undecided because they, they knew nothing about these candidates. So we give them a little information about each candidate. And then we ask them a bunch of questions like, who do you like? And who do you trust? And who would you vote for if you had to vote for one or the other right now? And in the beginning, as you can imagine, there's a 50-50 split uh, to all of these kinds of questions uh, because these are undecided voters. Is this name recognition? Yeah, they just, I like this name or not that name, but no, exactly. nothing else. Yeah. So you end up splitting down the middle. Yeah. Then we let them do the search. So we let them use our search engine. Again, they're using real search results, real web pages. They can move around on the search engine just like you move around on Google. And we let them search for up to 15 minutes. The only difference between these these three groups is the order of the search results. That's it. That's the only difference. And after that time period has passed, we ask them all those questions again to see whether there's any shift in their thinking, uh, shift in their voting preferences. Again, I was predicting a 2 or 3% shift. Not much, but in a close election, in a very, very close election, if you can shift 2 to 3% of your undecided voters, uh, just with some mm -hmm. biased search results, yeah. uh, that could flip an election if it's very close. But the shift we got in that first experiment was 48%. Wow. And so I did not believe that. We repeated it with another group. I got a shift of 63%. And then we did it again, another huge shift. But as, as we were moving forward, we also noticed that people couldn't see that there was bias in the search results. So we not only had a very powerful way to manipulate people's thinking and voting preferences, but we could do it in a way that they couldn't even see. Mm -hmm. uh, this led to a big national study in the US, uh, more than 2,000 people from all 50 states, uh, same kind of procedure. Now we had so many people in the study, though, that we could look at demographic differences. We found. In fact, some demographic groups are extremely susceptible to this kind of uh, manipulation. Uh, for the record, uh, the group we found that is more susceptible than any other is a group called moderate Republicans, believe it or not. Uh, they, they, we got an 80% shift with mod moderate Republicans. <laughs> I know. Um, and, then, and then another really almost terrifying finding, which is, the very, very small number of people who do recognize the bias in the search results, they shift even farther in the direction of the bias. So in other words, merely being able to recognize the bias in search results doesn't protect you from it, not at all. So this is SEAM, search engine manipulation effect is what we called it. Um, I published a, a big article about that in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015. Uh, published a replication 
of this effect in 2017. It's also been replicated by a group at one of the Max Planck Institutes in Germany. This is real. This is an enormously powerful mm. and almost completely invisible way to shift thinking about anything, it turns out, not just candidates. We, uh, you're watching the Bill Walton Show. We're, I'm here with uh, Dr. Robert Epstein and uh, Reggie Littlejohn, and we're talking about China and Google and search engine results of manipulating voters. Roger, what are your thoughts about what you just heard? I'm a little alarmed. Well, you know, I think it's very interesting that people, when they discover the bias or they, they, they think that there's a bias, that they go with the bias. And this is something that I think that that is perhaps um, having to do with people trusting search engines. OK, and, and like Google, for example, Google presents itself as being tr very trustworthy. Ninety nine percent of the time you do a Google search. Do no evil. Do no evil. Okay, that's right. And and people believe that, that Google will do no evil. And they and ninety nine percent of the time you do a search, you search for you know the capital of California, you get Sacramento. You can rely on it. So then if they see that if, if Google is shifting towards this, that they're going to go with the shift. And this is a way that a company can build credibility. And then without people knowing it, people will rely on the search results and then and then shift their votes. So so, so let me just be sure I understand. There's some effect. There are different effects you talk about. There's the list effect. There's the auto fill in. There's the box that pops up with Google, and you know what we know now are the paid ads that show up in the search. So you tend to ignore that. This was just the list effect that you uh, you worked on. There was no auto fill in. There was no other no other attempt to uh, manipulate uh, perceptions. In the first couple of years, uh, I was focusing <clears throat> exclusively on uh, on the search results. So in other words, on this this very powerful list effect, that's mm -hmm. right. Uh, 2016 made another discovery, uh, and that was about uh, autocomplete or those search suggestions you get when you start to type a search term. Uh, two major findings there in a series of experiments were number one, uh, it appears that Google is manipulating people from the very first character they type into the search box. That was one conclusion that, that I drew from the experiments. But the second one is even wilder, which is we showed in experiments that we could turn a 50-50 split among undecided voters into a 90-10 split just by manipulating those suggestions that Google is flashing at you when you start to type a search term. So search suggestions alone are extremely powerful uh, in, in shifting opinions, and they work together, of course, with the search results that are generated when you finally, you know, got your search term in there. Right. So what we're talking about here is like, for example, let's say you put in the name of a candidate. Okay. If Google likes that candidate, they can, they can say, you know, Mr. Jones, Nobel Peace Prize nomination as, you know, a suggested thing that you want to do. Or if they don't like the candidate, they can, they can put in something like Mr. Jones, you know, um, sex abuse scandal, right? And so that you, you put in the name Mr. Jones, and depending on whether Google backs that candidate or not, they can put in, you know, auto suggestions about what would be the next thing you would click on. Is that what you're saying? Uh, basically, it, it turns out that the key to, to understanding how this works is, is negative search terms. That is the key here. Hmm. Um, back in 2016, before the, uh, before the election, uh, a small news service, uh, made a video, which they posted on YouTube, which, by the way, is part of Google, 
And by the way, that video was later taken down by YouTube. But anyway, they posted a video on YouTube claiming that if you type uh, if you type names in you know, names of candidates like Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and others into Bing and Yahoo, you get all kinds of search suggestions, positive and negative. If you type Hillary Clinton is on Bing and Yahoo, you get Hillary Clinton is the devil, Hillary Clinton <laughs> is sick, Hillary Clinton is, you, you know, you name it. Most of them are very, very negative. Hmm. And that's actually what people were searching for back then. But if you typed Hillary Clinton is on Google, you got Hillary Clinton is awesome, Hillary Clinton is winning, and that's it. That's all they showed you. Um, for other candidates, they would show you <clears throat> positives and negatives. For Hillary Clinton, they would just show you positives. And it turns out now we know from the research I've done, those negatives, that's the key to manipulating people using search suggestions because negatives are like a cockroach in a salad, okay? All the attention is drawn to the cockroach. And this is a phenomenon in the social sciences known as negativity bias. Mm -hmm. It's been mm -hmm. very well studied for a long time. Well. So if, if, if Google allows a negative into the list, that negative search suggestion will draw 10 to 15 times as many clicks. So one of the simplest ways that you can, can support a candidate is suppress negative search suggestions for your candidate. Mm -hmm. uh, and allow them to appear with other candidates, that'll drive a tremendous amount of traffic to websites which show negative things about those candidates. Well, so this is sort of the phenomenon that if I give you nine compliments, and then I say, but there's this one thing, mm -hmm. you forget the nine compliments. It's only the negative that sticks in your mind. Absolutely. That's negativity bias. That's now, right. who who is Google? I mean, we've we're going to get further into what they're doing, but Google has, what, 80,000 employees now, 100,000? And is there a monolithic culture that, that set out to do this, or how, does the, how do the individuals within Google interact to determine how these algorithms get, get manipulated or set? Is, that a, is this something that somebody's setting out consciously to do, or is it just their bias, their, their way of thinking about how the uh, search results ought to be? Well, Google is a very secretive company, uh, it's only in the last year or two that there have been significant leaks uh, and that a couple of whistleblowers have come forward. So we're finding out just recently, we're finally finding out a little bit about, you know, that internal culture. Um, we're also finding out that there are some, some small groups within Google that have actually protested some of Google's policies in particular. Mostly ex-Google employees now. No, no, no. There, there are actually uh, thousands of people within Google who have formed groups and have protested to the leadership there about what they're doing. But in particular, they protested uh, Google's plan to, to go back into China yeah, and help China control its population. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention that. They left, they left China in 2010 and got great kudos because they're right. not going to be working no with evil. the Chinese government. To... Right, exactly. But then they've come back, or they went back into China with something called Dragonfly. Dragonfly. And so what this is, is this is a search engine that is in collaboration with the Chinese Communist Party, which is a brutal totalitarian regime that hunts down dissidents and others that they don't like. And what it does is it, it can be used to censor searches um, that, that Chinese citizens uh, run, but it can also be used to just completely eliminate the ability to get on 
certain websites and learn the truth. So it's part of the great firewall of China. I mean, would you agree with that characterization? I would. And I, by the way, for the record, since this keeps coming up, I should point out that their motto, don't be evil, was officially dropped in 2015. I mean, why would a company do that? Are they, do they want to do evil? That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you for a fact, it was dropped. People still think it's their motto. In fact, it is not. Well, um, do only a little bit of evil. Maybe that's their new uh, motto. No, I think it's it's don't do evil unless it makes you money. But we talked about the covert. Don't do <laughs> okay, go ahead. Well, okay, we're going to have a theological debate about evil. <laughs> <laughs> right. What, what is evil? They never really defined it to begin with, except the, the, the new logo is don't be evil except when it's profitable. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, the, but Dragonfly was, and I'm, there's, there, I'm confused about whether they've dropped it or not or whether it's still going on, but it was to censor information at the behest of the Chinese government. Well, and it was going to do things like pre your issue, present, prevent citizens from learning about human rights abuses. Right, exactly. And another show we've done on the environment recently was going to prevent Chinese from learning how bad their air is. And therefore, what's wrong? There's nothing in the, in the Internet that says the air is anything other than what it should be. Well, first of all, China has its own search engine, I should point out. It's called Baidu. It's, it's not very good. But there are a couple of things I want to point out here, I think, that are very relevant to some things that Reggie just said. In our experiments on search suggestions, we also found out what the optimal number of suggestions is if you want to manipulate people. And it turns out the optimal number of suggestions that you want to flash at people is four. Okay, so just hold that thought in mind for a second here. When Google first invented autocomplete, they had 10. They showed 10 items. And Bing and Yahoo to this day show 8 or 10 items. They show you long lists. Google's list got shorter and shorter. And from roughly 2010 until roughly 2017, when I went public with my, with my studies on search suggestions, Google was showing four, four search suggestions, which is optimal for, manipula for manipulative purposes. Baidu, uh, China's search engine, to this day, still shows, I believe, four, uh, maybe five. But I mean, they're showing you that small list, which is optimal for, for manipulation. So Baidu is a manipulation machine. It's just not very good. Uh, and so China always wanted Google's technology for search because it's much, be much better technology. So Google was in China, and people think they left China in 2010, as, as you mm -hmm. just mentioned, Bill. Uh, because they couldn't put up with the censorship? I don't believe that's true. The fact of the matter is, in 2009, the Chinese government hacked Google, mm. hacked them to the core. It's one of the, one of the most uh, 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 dramatic cases of hacking ever uh, was when China hacked Google. Uh, as I see things, that's why, that is why uh, uh, Google pulled out of China. But then they've been planning in the last couple of years to go back in. That was a project internally in the company that was known as the Dragonfly Project. Some of their employees objected. And you know that gave them pause. Then word got out. And some members of Congress objected. Mm. And all I can say at this point is, officially, Google is saying, well, we're not going to go ahead with that. But no one really knows for sure.
because it's so secret. Well, and that's one of the things that put has put Google in turmoil in the last two, three, four years is that the there's a lot there are a lot fewer people inside Google that trust top management, and this this was I think handled this dragonfly was handled only by like what about a couple hundred people inside the company, and nobody else was giving any uh, any clue as to what was going on. But 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 let's not pretend that Google is in turmoil because they're not. Uh, they they they're an extremely homogeneous okay. company. Uh, about 96, 97 percent of their donations in 2018 went to Democrats. Uh, you know, they're very secretive, very tightly run, and as I say, very homogeneous. There, there, there have been, you know, here and there, there have been some protests lately. This is new. And a couple of whistleblowers have indeed come forward, one who was fired, another who quit, uh, and some documents have leaked. And a couple of amazing videos have leaked. But generally speaking, for a company that size, uh, they're extremely homogeneous and highly secretive. But hasn't, aren't there some rumors that Google's been infiltrated by Chinese agents? There are, there are rumors to that effect. No one knows for sure. I want to ask. Just, I just want to interrupt you for one second. You're watching the <laughs> Bill Walton show. I'm here with Dr. Robert Epstein and Reggie Littlejohn, and we're talking about uh, uh, manipulating search results in China and uh, Google's project in in China called Dragonfly. Right, Reggie. So I wanted to ask um, Robert a, a question, following up on what you just said, because I think this is important. Okay, you talked about leaked videos. All right, I watched one of those leaked videos that you sent me. I would like you to describe, if you could, the utopian vision of Google that comes through in its videos and what, they're, what the driving force is behind what they're doing, not only in the United States, not only with U.S. elections, but worldwide. Well, I think you're talking about the video called The Selfish Ledger. Yes. Yes, this is extraordinary. Uh, Eight-minute video made uh, by one of their advanced uh, divisions called The Selfish Ledger, leaked about a year and a half ago. Um, you, you can access it online now. There are places you can find it, and I have a, a transcript of it that I made, which, I, which I'd also recommend that people look at um, if you're interested in, in this issue. But this is uh, one of the creepiest videos you'll, you'll ever see because this, this explains... Now, remember, this, these are Google employees explaining this to other people at Google. This explains that we have the power to re-engineer humanity. And the phrase using company values is actually in this film. Uh, and in fact, they do have that power. And what this video shows is they actually discuss using this power. So I, I'm so glad you asked that question, Reggie, because so many people these days are, are they're kind of after Google, because Google seems to suppress conservative content in the United States. Uh, we can talk about that issue, but let me tell you, there are much bigger issues here than whether or not uh, you know, they suppress conservative content in the United States. Google is impacting the beliefs, attitudes, purchases, votes of two and a half billion people around the world. They're impacting people in almost every country in the world at the moment, except China, and that could well, the, change any day, so, and North Korea because no one has internet no, in North Korea. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it's a little, well, the, the, I've got the transcript, and it's 
incredible. Um, they said they think of us as not a, a being necessarily, but a ledger of encoded DNA or whatever, and that as we go through life, and this is based on some, some work done in the 19th century, as we go through life, we're, we're coded, we're coded, we're coded, and we change. And their theory is that if they keep programming us, we're going to change and we're going to reflect their values. And they call, they say, what if the ledger could be given a volitional purpose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is so creepy. But but this is, in fact, what is happening in China yes. now. Okay? You talk about reconstructing. And by the way, there's a great documentary called The Creepy Line. Oh, right, right. You got, everybody has to which, watch which, The Creepy Line. Which, which, which Robert is, is featured in. Absolutely. And I highly recommend that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Continue. Creepy. Well, just, well, China is doing exactly what Google has said that they want to do, which is to re-engineer people in, in, along the, the lines of the values of the company. And that's what China, the Chinese government is doing right now with its social credit system. So the social credit system in China um, is, talk about creepy, okay? We are all familiar with having like a financial credit score. In China, what they've implemented is a social credit score. And it is... Um, it is affected by everything. Like if, if you have a parking ticket, if you, oh, if you jaywalk, let's just talk about jaywalking. This is rolling out all over, all, all over China. It hasn't completely rolled out yet, but they have all of these surveillance cameras all over the place. And the difference between um, Chinese, current Chinese surveillance cameras and, um, and former surveillance cameras is that like, you know, if you walk into a, a grocery store, you see a surveillance camera, you figure, okay, no one's watching this, or maybe they are running, um, you know, some kind of a, a uh, video of this, but it'll be gone in a few days because all they're looking for is the ability to uh, catch somebody in a crime. Well, that's not the way it is in China. In China, they have facial recognition, and their surveillance cameras go uh, feed into this facial recognition so that they are keeping, tr tr and it's a permanent record, so they're keeping track of everything, everywhere you go, everything you buy, everything you do, and they are assigning you a, a credit score about whether you are trustworthy or not. And by the way, one of the ways that you can earn points or not earn points is by if you engage in, a, in an app called Xi Jinping Thought. And so, and this is actually some companies require this. So what people will do is you have to get on Xi Jinping thought. You have to spend a certain amount of time every day. And at the end of it, you can't just let it go because you have to an answer a multiple choice question questionnaire to make sure that you got the point. And then your social credit will rise if you do that and it will fall. You'll get penalized if it doesn't do that. So what difference does it make what somebody's social credit score is? People who have a high score, who are considered trustworthy, are um, able to buy plane tickets, train tickets, um, get visas to foreign countries. They have, they can get mortgages. They can, um, you know, escape detention. <laughs> I mean, but if you have a low credit score, then what that does is it, it, you can lose your job. You can um, not be able to travel. Your kids will not get into the school that you want them to go to. It, it affects every aspect of life. And what Xi Jinping said is that he wants the trustworthy to be able to go anywhere they want under heaven and the untrustworthy will not be able to take a single step. And so that's what they have in place in China. Oh, and by the way, another thing that they do is they track your searches on online and that has to do with your social credit score as well. Well, apparently there are 500,000 internet police in Beijing alone. And 
So the aspects of their control, you, they're monitoring what you're doing online. They have cameras. They're aiming for 100% coverage of the, of the country, which mm -hmm. is 1.4 billion people. Mm -hmm. They have complete coverage in Beijing with cameras. And they also manage, they also monitor all your buying habits. Uh, for example, I read that if you've got, if you buy diapers for babies, that's supposed to be you're a good person taking care of a baby. But if you're online gaming for five hours, that's supposed to be a negative thing. And so there's this ledger. Mm -hmm. But then a lot of Chinese like that ledger. And that, for, that to me is the really creepy part of it. And they get competitive. Okay, so this is the thing, Bill. You can't really take the statistics from the Chinese, or, or the, you know, in other words, these say, are the, the Chinese Communist Party's doing the polling. Well, okay, I, don't, I okay. If the Chinese Communist Party is doing the polling, for sure they're not going to get a straight answer. But even if the Chinese Communist Party is not doing a polling, the, the polling, I think people would be very reluctant to say that they disagree with it because they don't know whether they're being tracked or not, because because so much of the tracking is is invisible. And so why would they go out of their way to say, I disagree with this, when it could come back with repercussions against them and their family? Well, that's true. The poll results circular. The poll results feel back into your credit score. So if you say you like it, you, yeah. get, you get a boost in your credit that's score. That's right. You, you, may, you may or may not. I don't know whether the polling was independent, but they are, they're not going to know whether it was independent either. And they don't know whether to trust somebody who says they're independent. Because trust is, is, a very, is a very, very difficult in China because they're always being tracked and they're always being you know, exposed. So they don't know really who to trust, a lot well, of people. Well, the reason I wanted to link China and Google is just it's the overt covert thing. And you look at the, coming back to the creepy... Uh, the creepy, uh, not the creepy, the selfish ledger. Uh, they talk about streams of information are brought together. The effect is multiplied. New patterns of behavior become apparent, and new mm -hmm. predictions about behavior become sure. possible. Yes, they call it behavioral sequencing, which is very interesting. Uh, you know, my, my doctorate a long time ago was under a, a very famous uh, Harvard professor named B.F. Skinner, and mm -hmm. Skinner is known as one of the founders of behavioral psychology, uh, and he believed in what he called benign control. Um, in other words, he believed that we're always controlled anyway, so you know, let's, let's improve the methods of control uh, so that we can avoid using aversive methods, unpleasant methods, and we can just use pleasant methods, reinforcers, he called them, positive reinforcers, and we can basically... Um, get people to do good things, but without having to, to penalize or punish them, and get people to do good things in ways that maybe they're not even aware of. And he, he saw that as a kind of a, a positive move for humankind. But I guarantee you, I knew him extremely well, that he would be appalled by what's happening in China. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you he would be terrified by the phenomena that I've discovered in online influence, these new methods of influence online. He never envisioned, you know, uh, manipulation on this scale, uh, you know, affecting everyone in the world uh, in ways which are, in fact, often aversive, certainly in China. And then in the United States, with companies like Google, we're talking about control that's completely invisible to people. And it's not control that's in the hands of, of uh, you know, some responsible agencies and very diverse groups of, you know, people who are discussing what's best for everybody. 
it's in the control. We're talking about control by, you know, mainly one and to a lesser extent, a couple of other private companies that 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 I, I guarantee you, Skinner would have objected to strongly because these companies are not accountable to our to the American public or any other public. So, you know, whether this is a, it's a government that's making this happen for, in China, for example, or it's a couple of private companies making it happen. Uh, this is it's terrifying to me. It's terrifying to me. And the more I've learned about it, uh, by the way, over the years, uh, the more concerned I've become. So has anybody from Google showed up on your doorstep to say, why are you being so uh, tough on us? Yes. Really? Yes. Well, Google, Google sent a private detective to my house. Uh, my, it got my wife quite upset. Um, because so. what you're doing is extremely courageous. Yeah. I mean, this is this is. I mean, I think about Reggie, and some of the work she's doing in China. But she's not in China physically. I mean, this is the thing. We're all even the show, is going to go on Facebook or not Facebook, but YouTube. And so there's this whole. I, I, I all I can say is if you if you if you irritate Google, there are consequences. Um, so I'm I, thinking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time I've ever done anything that would be irritating towards Google. So I'm wondering if they're going to shut my website down or something. I don't know. I well, guess I'll let you know. I'm just I'm I'm telling you for sure. There have been consequences for me, and and I I, I obviously I like it when people say, as you've said a couple of times now, oh, you're, you're courageous, that's great. Uh, but in my family, people say something very different. They say uh, that what I'm doing is irresponsible, reckless, is um, foolish, um, you know, and, and, they, and, I, and I hear this over and over again. I don't hear it just occasionally um, because, uh, and, 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 you know, I had I had an attorney general of one of our states come up to me after I gave a talk, and he said to me with a straight face, he said, "I think you're going to die in an accident sometime in the next few months." Oh, and he was he was not smiling, and he said, "You know, accidents happen all the time." And then he walked away. You know, you know, I just have to say this reminds me a lot of what dissidents in China have to go through. Because in, in China, if, if somebody takes a, a, um, a stand against the Chinese Communist Party and, and exposes their corruption, which is what you're doing with Google, they're being extremely courageous. They're going to be persecuted. But China will persecute the rest of their family. And some, like Chen Guanchen, has this great family that supports him. And they, and they were willing to be tortured, literally tortured. Um, and, and they said it's worth it because of, of, of exposing... Um, you know, the corruption of the Chinese government and the violence and the one-child policy, but a lot of other dissidents, they do not have families that are supportive. And they're like, why are you doing this to our family? You know, our families work very hard. We're just trying to go with the flow. And because you're doing this, we're all getting persecuted. And they turn against this person. And this person ends up being very alone, doing what, you know, the right thing without any support from their family and being also persecuted by the government. So, again... What you're doing is very brave. Well, I mean, I can't honestly tell you that uh, that what I'm you know, that I'm entirely comfortable with what I'm doing. I, <laughs> I, I can't honestly say that because, for example, uh, in just a couple months ago, I testified before Congress about some of my research findings, 
And I also uh, proposed a way that Congress could quickly and permanently end Google's worldwide monopoly on search, which, which, which means they would no longer be the threat that they are to humankind. And I, 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 I published an article about this in Bloomberg Businessweek. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I talked about it uh, in my congressional testimony. Well, and, the, and the way to do that is to, uh, as you pointed out, to make its index public. Well, and, it's, it's, it's index is the database yes. that it uses to generate search results. And yeah, the way to, the way to end their monopoly on search, because you can't break up the search engine, that, that's out of the question, because then it, then it won't work very well. So you can't break it up. But what you can do is make the index, the database they use to generate search results, you can make that public uh, through what's called an API. That's what programmers call it. And there's precedent for this in Google's own business practices uh, because uh, they actually allow a couple of companies access to their index. Where do you think Siri, which is uh, you know, Apple's personal assistant, where do you think Siri yeah. gets answers from? It's from, from Google's, Google's database. They all come from Google. So there's precedent for this in, in Google's business practices. But if they, if they opened it up to everyone, then within a year or two, you'd have thousands of search platforms uh, using new business models and all kinds of new, new kinds of, uh, uh, of, of formats. And, you know, I mean, it would be creativity, you know, galore. In, in, the, in the area of search, and Google's users would shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. Um, but the point is, yes, I, so I, I gave this testimony. A few weeks later, Donald Trump tweeted about my testimony. Now, he didn't get things quite right, which, you know, is kind of and, and, par for the course. And, but, and to be clear, you did not vote for Donald Trump. I, I'm not a Trump supporter. <laughs> no. by no, I'm, I'm not a conservative by yeah. no means. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm a longtime supporter of the Clintons. I have, uh, you know, a, a signed letter from Bill Clinton up on my wall. But the point is, Hillary Clinton replied to Trump's tweet by saying that my work had been debunked. Wow. And, which is completely false and was based on, and I quote, was based on 21 undecided voters. Now, my, my research involves tens of thousands of participants in, in dozens of experiments involving five national elections in four countries, et cetera, et cetera. It meets the highest possible standards of scientific integrity. And because Hillary Clinton did that, basically gave that message to her 25 million Twitter followers, mainstream news sources picked up on that, amplified it, and the next thing I know, my reputation is destroyed. This has literally just happened to me. Now, where did she get that information from? She got it from Google. Google was Hillary Clinton's biggest supporter, financial supporter in 2016. Uh, Hillary Clinton's chief Technology officer Stephanie Hannon uh, came to her straight from Google. She was a Google executive. Uh, uh, Eric Schmidt, who was the head of Google, uh, offered in writing to run Hillary Clinton's tech campaign. I mean, she she is she is very very close <laughs> closely tied to Google. So what I'm saying is, if if you irritate the Google machine, however you do it, there are consequences. And you know, I'm I'm paying a huge price 
uh, for doing uh, the work I do. And, and sometimes, uh, to be honest with you, sometimes it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. No, I can understand that. Well, hopefully shows like this, and you've been on a lot of other shows in the last month or two, I think there's going to be a bandwagon effect, I would hope, as people learn about this. Because you've, I've read, we did a lot of research before you came on. I've read nothing on the Internet that has anything critical of what your research is. It's nothing but, um, you know, crickets. Silent. There's nothing. And uh, so Google didn't give Hillary or anything. They just gave her a soundbite because they hadn't done any actual research on their own. They know what you're saying is true. <clears throat> well, my, my point is that, 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 that I, do get, I do get pushback um, you know, from many sources. And, it's, and, I, and I, you know, I have a very good friend who's based in Washington. <clears throat> I, I know he would want to remain anonymous at this moment, so I'm not going to mention his name. But you know, he he's he was one of the first people out there to recognize what a threat Google posed. He's paid an enormous price uh, for having, you know, gone public in the way he has done and, and written the things he's written. It's 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 hard to take on you know any big entity, uh, government or or corporate, uh, but Google is is they're ruthless. They are extremely ruthless. Um, you know, it's it, it's uh, as I say, it's 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 hard to do the work I do. The other thing is, why aren't there hundreds of people doing the work that I do? Which is not just the research, but I've also set up monitoring projects to see what Google's actually showing people. We can talk about that at some I point. I do want to talk like. about that. Yes, but but why aren't there hundreds of researchers doing this around the world? I mean, the the, the that article I published on Seam in 2015. Uh, has been accessed or downloaded uh, from the website of the National Academy of Sciences more than 200,000 times. Hmm. Now, that's extremely, extremely unusual for a scientific paper. And um, early last year, which was the last time the Academy uh, ran this kind of uh, rating system, but they, they rated uh, my article on, on search engine manipulation effect to be in the top 1% of all scientific papers in all disciplines. So, you know, there's, there's no question from a scientific perspective that what I'm doing is not only legitimate, but is important. But why aren't universities around the world doing this research? Why aren't, you know, it, it, unfortunately, well, well, the answer is, is so disturbing. If, if you get an email, for example, from a professor at UCLA, which I get from time to time, or a professor at Columbia University, which I get from time to time, or a number of, I just got one yesterday from a professor at San Diego State University. Guess what? If you, if you know how to open up an email and look at it carefully to see where it's, where it's routed, where it's moving through, these universities use Google services. All of their emails are shared with Google. Well, isn't that also true of parts of the U.S. government? I mean, I thought that, that Google was, well, the, that, that they were contracting. The, the well, the, US... federal, the federal government runs on, on Google Docs. It's got Google Cloud, Google Tools. The whole federal government is, is, is based on Google. Or well, Google yeah, based on that's that. what I'm saying. So is that, are, are, are all Real our federal quick, you're, you're watching the Bill safe. Walton show. We're here with a very brave man, Dr. Robert Epstein, who has uh, done a tremendous amount of work on, on uh how Google really operates and how the threats it presents to uh, 
to our privacy and to our to our way of life. And with Reggie Littlejohn, who's also doing similar work in in China, uh, just to put a point on who does suffer, Jordan Peterson, the public intellectual that has uh, spoken out on different topics and had some gender identity objections, and Google uh, shut down his Gmail account, his YouTube account, took off 250 videos that he posted, he had 15 million views and 450,000 subscribers, cut off access to his email and his calendar data. Now, I guess he got it restored. I don't know, you know, was there a happy ending to that story, or is he... Uh... <clears throat> there was, but in most cases, there is not. Google does this to, to, to individuals and to companies every single day. Um, I published an article, an investigative piece for U.S. News and World Report in 2016 called The New Censorship, mm -hmm. in which I talked at length about nine of Google's blacklists. And if you get on a Google blacklist, it is virtually impossible to get off of such a list, and they don't even have a customer service department, so there's no one you can discuss it with. Say that again. There's no customer service department. There's no 800 number you call Google and say, I've got to register a complaint. That is correct. So here's one of the, one of the richest and most successful companies in history that has no customer service department. <clears throat> but they do have a lot of internal blacklists, and as I say, I wrote about this in great detail uh, back in 2016. It was only just a couple of months ago uh, that, uh, that some documents leaked from Google showing actual internal blacklists from the company. So I had to wait that many years uh, for, for what, you know, what I said about the company to be confirmed. Uh, but we're talking about a very secretive, potentially very dangerous uh, organization. So, but you do have a solution, and the solution is similar to what we did in 1956 with the AT&T decree, which is where, what did AT&T do at the time? They gave up certain technologies that everybody could use, and it caused a technology uh, explosion, a tele telecommunications explosion? Right, I mean, I think that, that they, um that they had to let other people use their phone infrastructure, the cable lines and all of that. That was actually their patents. Uh, all of their patents were shared uh, with everyone. Uh, that was under the 1956 uh, consent decree with the Department of Justice. Yeah. And uh, uh, yes, and so, so there is precedent for doing the kind of thing I've suggested we do with Google, which is making their index, their basic database uh, public, because uh, that's exactly the kind of thing that was done with AT&T back in 1956. It led to tremendous, tremendous amount of innovation, uh, you know, in telecommunications. And if we make Google's index public so that thousands of competing search platforms, you know, would be formed very, very rapidly, uh, there would be tremendous innovation occurring in, in, the, in that space of, of online search. Right now, there's no innovation, mm -hmm. nothing, because... 92% of search in the world is conducted by one company, which hasn't changed what they do in almost 20 years because they have no reason to. Well, the, I've dug up your article in the blacklist. We have an autocomplete blacklist. We have a Maps blacklist. We have a Google account blacklist. We have the Google News blacklist, the Google AdWords blacklist. I mean, this, is, <laughs> this goes on and on. 
Yes, and and I've I've actually gotten to know uh, one of the whistleblowers, um, uh, one who who smuggled out a lot of documents recently. His name is Zachary Voorhees, uh, and he says there are actually dozens and dozens of blacklists. Uh, you know, I I happened to identify nine of them before I even had any confirming evidence that there were any blacklists. But I knew as a programmer that these blacklists must must exist, and. You know, Zach not only has confirmed that he's actually shown us now two of the two of the blacklists. Meanwhile, when I testified before Congress, before I testified, Google had a very high-ranking representative there testifying, and he was grilled by by senators there on the House uh, and the Senate Judiciary Committee. And he was asked under oath, "Do you have blacklists? Does Google have blacklists?" And he said under oath, "No, we have no blacklists." Uh, it's 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 insane. This is a company that denies, 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 even when people are coming forward and and saying, "Wait a minute, that's not true. That is not true." Dr. Robert Epstein, Reggie Littlejohn, I'm afraid this block of time has run out. I'd like to continue with the with the second segment as we're going to shut this one down for a moment and then come back. Uh, because we barely scratched the surface of what we need to talk about Google and and uh, and China and Chinese with what the Chinese are doing all over the world because this is not just an American problem but it's a uh, worldwide problem. Great conversation, eye-opening. Um, thanks for doing this. I'm looking forward to having you back in our next segment. So to be continued, and thank you for taking time to watch or listen to the Bill Walton Show. Please join me for our upcoming show. Uh, with our guests uh, Reggie Littlejohn and Dr. Robert Epstein, Stein, and uh, we'll talk. We'll be talking with you soon at the after the next uh, break. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to amazon.com apply. That's amazon.com apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.